So we continue our series in times like these. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. The message is entitled, Speaking the Word with All Confidence. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you might, in times like these, give us as a church the confidence to speak your word with all boldness. That we might be a courageous people, speaking the truth in love, but bold as lions. Lord, because there are some that are lost, they're waiting for the light. And if our light is hidden, we're just helping Satan. Oh, Lord, that we might finish victoriously, faithfully, to hear from you as a church, as a whole church. Well done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word here for boldness in this passage and also the word for confidence in Greek is parousia. Confidence, boldness, courage. I just want to begin where I'm going to end. If we're going to be bold, there are two things. It's obedience and prayer. In Joshua chapter 1, turn there if you want. This is a, Joshua's about to take over for Moses. And you know the people have promised, oh, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to treat you just like I treat, treated, we treated Moses. <laughs> Not great. I mean, every time the people enjoyed the blessings and the miracles of God, but every time things didn't go their way, they threatened to stone Moses. So that shouldn't be counted as a, is a great encouragement. And to the leader of God's people, in Joshua 1, verse 6, be strong and courageous. You will give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Churches all over America are trying to position themselves to not be in trouble. See, our government has come out very strong against what God's word says. God has been relegated out of the public life. The best we can do is give a moment of silence. We don't even want to call it prayer anymore. And certainly, if you're praying, you don't want to pray in Jesus' name. I ask, get asked by pastors all the time, so are you guys changing your constitution? Uh, what for? Well, because. Well, we don't have anything in our constitution. We don't believe. So, no. 
We're changing the way we do some things. You know, the law has said if you have your place, uh, your public place, this is kind of a public place, a church building, open for some weddings, then you have to be open for all weddings. And so we've changed one thing, and that is we're not in the business of marrying people. Ultimately, we believe that marriage is dependent on the location of your ceremony. It depends upon your heart, and are you willing to be obedient? So a lot of people say, well, I want to be married in church. They don't want to do anything else in church, but they want to get married in church, like somehow getting married in this building is going to give them this uh, blessing. And so only people that are members of our church will now be married in our church. used to be kind of an opportunity for ministry, but um, can't do that anymore. The last wedding, I believe I'm right on this, the last wedding we will have at the, the campgrounds are, it just took place yesterday. No more weddings and we're out of the wedding business. But as far as what we believe, no, we haven't changed anything. And we're not going to couch ourselves to be safe. You see, Christians throughout the ages, believers throughout the ages, even Joshua read, the leader of God's people had to be courageous. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. If God's people are not willing to be salty and bring the flavor of righteousness to their culture, we're not good for anything. He goes on to say, No man takes a light and puts it under the bed or under a bushel. But he raises it up so that all that in our house will see and have light. Luke chapter 12, he said, if you are ashamed of me and you deny me, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. Don't be afraid of those that can take away your physical life. That's all they can do. If the best they can do is kill you, that's not much. Because as believers in Christ, you have eternal life. They can't take that away. But fear him who is able to cast both body and soul into hell. See, we fear the Lord because we understand we're not afraid of God. He's our Father. But we understand his power. We understand the ends. And the worst thing that happened to us is not death. And if you heard the gospel, you responded to the gospel of the word of God. The invitation of Jesus was... If any man would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and then take up his cross. Where are we going? He was going to the place of execution. He said, follow me. And we have this great opportunity to be a part of filling up the sufferings of Christ. They can't get at Jesus anymore, but they can get at his bride. And that's our opportunity. And Paul said, yea, and all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Proverbs 28 says, verse 1, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. What had happened here? Chapter 1, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses, ultimately in all the earth. But I want you to remain here until the Holy Spirit comes. And we see the difference in even Peter 
And all the apostles before and after the Holy Spirit, right? Before the Holy Spirit, every time they thought they were in danger, even after Jesus raised from the dead in John 21, he told Peter, listen, Peter, you're going to be so faithful for me, one day they're going to crucify you just like they did me. And Peter's like, whoa, uh-huh. <laughs> what? What about John, right? He said, Peter, whatever happens to John, if he lives until I come back the second time, that nothing to do with you. You follow me. Even after being raised from the dead, before the Holy Spirit came, Peter was like, ah, I don't think I can handle that. And yet we find Peter in chapter 2 standing up before everyone and boldly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people came to faith. Well, that's making a mark. They began to stir things up. And so in chapter 3, they made a regular habit of going up to the temple to pray in front of everybody. They weren't hiding. I think they expected everyone to come to Christ. What's your expectation of the gospel? Paul said, it is the power of God into salvation. It's the dynamite, the dunamis. Do you expect that the gospels make a difference? If you really believe the gospel is the powerful seed, you just share it. You just live it. They expected result from the gospel. So they're going up to the temple one day. And I believe ahead of them, a man is being carried. And they've seen him before. He was 40 years of age and his family would take him up there. They probably made their living off him also. And he, and he was crippled, so he, they just laid him there. And then he'd beg alms, beg, beg for alms and, and gifts. And so about the time they're coming into that gate... He looks up at him, hoping to get something from him. And Peter stops it. We don't have silver and gold, but we have, we give to you. And he grabbed it by the hand and he stood on his feet and he was completely healed. Can you imagine the man, 40 years old, who's been crippled since his mother's womb. He's been crippled all of his life. And all of a sudden, it's not like wobbling. Stay. He's running and jumping. And what's he doing? He's praising the Lord. And then he grabbed onto Peter and he wouldn't let go. And as he's shouting, they didn't get to prayer that way that day, by the way. As he's shouting, all the people come. What? What's going on? They all knew this fella. They'd all seen him before. And Peter asked to call him the crowd, and he said, if you think it's us that healed this man, you're mistaken. It's the Christ that you crucified. On the basis of faith, verse 16, in his name is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect help in the presence of you all. And he ends the sermon, verse 26, for you first God raised up a servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. There it is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for their wicked ways, their sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That was for them. But we come to chapter 4. They were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and everybody gathered together. And they, this is not going to, we've lost control now. Because as a result, it goes on to say in chapter 4, as a result of that preaching, the church came to be 5,000 just men. So the church could be twelve to 20,000 people by this time. They're making an impact. These people are going up to pray. They're going up to hear the apostles' doctrine and their teaching. They're making an impact. And the priests thought they took care of it when they crucified Jesus. And then he rose from the dead, so they took care of it by a lie. And 
Now these people are still filling Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's in the evening. They don't know what to do, so they put them in prison. And they bring them out the next day. And they say, hey, tell us again. Whose name are you uh, preaching in? By what power? Verse 7. Have you done this? Very key. It says, Peter then filled with the Holy Ghost. Preaches this very short gospel message. If we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as how this man has been been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Jesus, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now we come to our passage. Verse 13, look what it says. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Why? Because these same people dogged Jesus' steps all the way and all they ever found was confidence and truth. What is this confidence, this courage? Is it belligerence? It is anger coming out? No, no. Is a deep-seated faith that rests and speaks the truth in love. They weren't shaken. These are the guys that were running before. Everybody forsook Jesus at the cross. Everybody forsook him and left. And now they stand boldly and calmly, not afraid, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a promise to us that Jesus gave. Luke 12 Verse 11, when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. But in that day, in that hour, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. You can depend upon that. Have you ever been in a situation and, and uh, you were questioned and, and you didn't know the answer? And you went away and you said, oh, you'd think of it later. Oh, if I'd only known that then. Or you went under trial. And I will tell you, as a discipler, it's a much more honest response to say, you know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that question, but I will find out. So you don't look like the cults that have little things just all memorized. They Paul parrot some things out there. And it just looks like they got it all condensed in a little sales package. It's better. To be open and just say, you know, that I don't know the answer to that. I think that's a good question. Let me find out because I know that God has an answer. The answer is in God's word. And you go, and when you come back with the answer from God's word, you'll never need that again because it'll be yours. You'll have that answer. You'll have that portion of scripture. And next time somebody asks that question they think nobody's ever asked before, you'll say, oh, well, just let me turn right here. There it is, right? That's how we grow. That's how we get equipped. It's okay not to know the answer. But you say, but what happens to me when I'm hauled before court? What happens if as believers we're hauled into court for what we believe? Not even what you've said or what you've done, but what you believe. 
Here's the promise of God. See, it wasn't that Peter was so smart or Peter and John had all this confidence in himself. This was the word of God. In them by the Holy Spirit. And it says in the Old Testament, when we speak the word of God, when we're speaking wisdom filled with the Spirit, it's like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's that soft bone, that, that soft word that breaks the bone. It's the word that penetrates because it's not about your personality. It's not about you winning an argument. You're just sowing seed. And whether they receive it or not, whether they believe it or not, not your deal, not your business. It's powerful seed. Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his master. You want to refresh your master's soul? Speak the truth in love. Be courageous. You know what's happened in America? Over the years, we have had this, what some people call an experiment in our government. And this nation was founded upon the principles of the word of God. And they intended that Christianity, the Bible, be an influence in culture. But over the years, this nation that is supposedly filled with born-again Christians is just nice. And we're not bold. We've taken a back seat, and when government's made uh, a difference, we don't say anything. And when wicked leaders get elected, guess who did it? We did. And so we can't blame the world for where we're at, where we're at, because the Bible says, if the salt becomes tasteless, we are therefore good for nothing and might as well be thrown out to be trodden to foot by men. That is American Christianity. We have not been courageous because we have not been obedient. We have compromised with Satan. We have compromised in order to get along. We just like our life. Don't want anybody upset our life. We just want to be comfortable. We've seen it with so many schools that were established you know, Princeton was established to preach the gospel, to train men to preach the gospel. University of Chicago, one of the most liberal universities around, was established as a Baptist college. Baylor University, great preachers came out of Baylor. They no longer recognize. Why? Because they got a board in that said, so many of these schools, there's so many Baptist schools, let alone other Christian schools across the nation that all of a sudden they said, but we need to keep ourselves in business. So let's not take a strong stand on this. Let's change that. We, let, let's just get along. And so we will go along to get along. And we as a people became tasteless. We no longer had lives that were convicting. We no longer... We're the voice that said, no, that's darkness, that's wrong, that's sin. Oh, don't say that. I was reading the story of a great name dropper, a fellow that built the glass, the crystal cathedral, 
talked about all of his opportunities he had. He loved dropping names, and one of the names he dropped in one of his stories was John Wayne. John Wayne was dying of cancer. He was looking for somebody to come and give him hope because he was, he was raised in Roman Catholic. He knew the Roman Catholic faith, but that wasn't giving the hope and peace. And so Schuler went to talk to him. And he said, I don't use the word sin. That's too negative. No, too negative. But you know what? The, the gospel says Jesus came and died for sinners. If you don't get to sin, you don't get to the gospel. If you just share, well, Jesus wants to make your life great. And if you want to make your life great, get things ordered, just, just accept Jesus in your heart. And it'll all be good. That's not the gospel. Because in order for a person to come to life in Christ... They need to come through that straight, narrow gate. Jesus said, straight is the gate, hard is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. It's narrow. Why? Because we have to come on our knees, denying ourselves, understanding he's calling us to follow him. But we're not salt and light. We have not been obedient. And so we are not bold. And we hear the reports of what's going on, and it can cause fear. You think these people in the church didn't have some fear? Of course they did. Their Savior's been killed by these same people. They have the potential to kill people. And so they had the fellows step out. Why don't you guys step out for a minute? We need to talk about this. They recognize in their speech, these men were not afraid. They were not angry. They were just speaking boldly the truth and love. They were just speaking with confidence. This is the way it is. One of my favorite classes with Dr. Bookman in Bible college was a class called um, um, I'm trying to remember what they called the class. Apologetics. It was about apologetics, but it was basically logical fallacies. And he said, it's a logical fallacy to think that you've got to use, or if you use anger when you're in an argument, it's a logical fallacy because all you're proving is you don't think your argument would stand by itself. And so you have to involve passion and anger. That's not part of the gospel. There's a lot of angry Christians today, and they listen to Rush, and they listen to all these different pundits, and they get so angry that their, their country's being taken by force. This world's not your ultimate home. We're thankful for our country. I love my country. I serve my country like many of you did. Volunteered to go to war. Promised that I would obey even if it cost me a life. Many of you did that. But this is not our ultimate home. We seek for a city whose builder and maker is God. We don't have to get angry. We don't have to be full of bitterness toward the world. Because our kingdom's unshaken. God is not afraid and he's not worried. This is just our opportunity in this time to be bold. But the question is, will we? How can we be bold? What did the early church do when the pressure was on? Well, the leaders that held the power of life and death, they, 
They met, kind of like our Supreme Court does, they met. And because of the people, not because of the law, not because of right and wrong, but just because there's a lot of people out there that really liked what was going on. A lot of people out there waiting for their decision. They said, well, hey, guys, we need to be careful. Decision we make here, we, we don't, you know. So, number one, we see these guys have been with Jesus. They have the same power of speech that he did. Very clear. It's impactful. And we can't deny that a notable miracle has been done by them. Everybody was there. Everybody saw it. And this guy has been around for 40 years laying at the temple gate. We can't say it didn't really happen. So I don't know. Let's just threaten them. That's what the world does. When they don't have an answer, they just threaten. And they call you names. Personal. Don't worry about that. They just can't get at your master anymore. And so they gave them this. Let's just threaten them and let them go. No, it's not because of the goodness of their heart. It's because all the crowd out there is waiting for this word. They've been waiting all night. What are they going to do to these guys? These guys can heal a fella that's been there for 40 years, and, and they're going to do what to him? Let's just threaten them. Now, fellas, we've decided to be good to you. And um, we don't want you to preach anymore in this man's name. Well, that fell on deaf ears. I just love what Peter, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Have you experienced the gospel? Have you really experienced the grace of God in your life? Because if you have, you can't stop talking about it. It is the theme of your life. Now, there's some in this crowd that it's your religion. Maybe you're Baptist. Maybe you come to LVC, and so you're part of it. But uh, push comes a shove, you're going to be the chaff that gets blown right out. The Bible says, when the pressure comes, the wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, Psalm 1, but the way of the wicked shall perish. It'll be like chaff which the wind blows away. See, that's just the winnowing. God is allowing his church to be winnowed. And when they would winnow in those old days, they would just take the wheat and they would just, the grain, throw it up in the air and the breeze would blow and the chaff would blow away. And what came down was just the wheat. And that's what's going to happen if persecution comes. Because if you're not serious, if Jesus isn't your life, if you haven't experienced the grace of God, it doesn't take much. You make decisions every day about what's more, most important. And a lot of you will say, well, you know, I want to, whatever. I should have been there. I, I want to be in men's group. I want to be in church. But, and you give that excuse. And the Bible says that's like thorns. Anything can distract you. But ultimately, God knows you have a free will and you do what you want to do. So the persecution comes. Is it going to drive your roots deeper into the love of God? Or there'll be no root and you'll just blow away. I don't know. I don't know hearts. I can't see hearts. We as believers can only look at one another and see fruit. But it's coming. So they said, well, we can't stop speaking about Jesus. 
So what did they do? How did the church respond? Well, I think some have been listening at the door. When they're released, first thing they did was go to the church. I love that. They go back to the first church in verse 23. And they reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And John was probably saying, and then Peter said this. And Peter said, yeah, and then John said this. You know what that whole church was? This is what blessed my heart. That whole church didn't say, whoa, 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 fellas. I mean, come on. They killed Jesus. They can kill you. And, you know, we, we only have so many apostles. So why don't you guys just be careful? We're saying today. I remember going to a Christian teacher when we were running out of room years ago in the high school because young people were just inviting young people and kids were getting saved and we had this growing, thriving group that wasn't even called FCA yet, just a Bible study. In fact, I told those young men, I said, we're not going to advertise, we're going to name ourselves. If you want your friends to hear the gospel, you invite them to come to the weight room Wednesdays. And they did that. And over the years, it just grew. And eventually, somebody said, we should call it FCA. I said, well, whatever, we're going to keep doing the same thing. And so we became FCA. And every once in a while, someone would come in and they'd say, hey, you know, um, we should let the students do more of this. Well, the students aren't equipped to preach yet, so uh, no. Every once in a while, I'd kind of give in to the director. And, and I, he's, I think some of the girls, they just want to play some games and stuff. Typical youth group stuff. And we would do that. And you know what happened? Nobody would come. Why? If you're going to play around, people don't need to come. If you're not going to give the gospel, if you're not going to be serious, what's the point? In fact, I wonder why people go to the church. I wonder why pastors even get in the ministry if they're not going to open up this book and just tell people what God said. We have had an apologetic in this country with Christians that are studying the world to see how can we get the world in church. Let's have a fun time. Let's give them some entertainment. Our music's got to be different. You know, we got, we got to just appeal to them. No, we don't. Yeah, but we got to be seeker sensitive. You know what the Bible said about seeker sensitive? There's none that seeks after God. There is none. They've all gone out of the way. They've all searching for their own way. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. The only people that are seeking after God are the ones that God has touched and are seeking because God is drawing them. All this stuff is going to change. Right now, churches are trying to figure out how can we couch things so we can go along to get along. And Satan keeps pressing them and keeps pressing them until pretty soon there is no sting left in their gospel. And their gospel is no longer the gospel. Well, they went home and told the church. And the amazing thing is, I think, all the church, because John and Peter don't need to ask for more boldness. The Holy Spirit filled them. They already have that. That's been proven. The amazing thing about this passage is the whole church wanted that. The whole church said, we want to be like that, Peter. Oh, if we could just be like that. I hear people every once in a while, John MacArthur, Franklin Graham, will get called onto a program. And whether it's Larry King or whoever it is, they're just trying to get them to go along. If you could just compromise, we'd like you more. And I love it because John MacArthur and Franklin Graham are men that God has just placed there for us. And they say... 
the clearest truth, and my heart rejoices with my brothers, and I think, oh, I wish they were more like that. I wish I could be more like that because their answers are studied and they're, they're just there and boom, they come out. They're, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit working in them. I don't think it's because they're great. And I hear about some of you as you stand and, I, and you give your answer. And whether or not sinners receive it is not the point. God is not ashamed to be called your God. And as believers, our heart swells and we say, oh, the saints in the earth, they're the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. I wish I could be more like that. I wish I could be more like Jesus. Jesus was never afraid of people. He's not afraid of their opinions. He loved people. He even loved his enemies. He was filled with zeal. He cleansed the temple. And I think so many times our small group was just going through Luke 12 this last week and Jesus was sitting down at 11 and he's eating at a Pharisee's house and he walks out and he says, hey guys, you got to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And I think he just goes on to talk about these things. They're like whited sepulchers. Or they're like sepulchers that haven't been marked. So people walk over and they get all kinds of corruption. And I think the apostles are like, Lord, they're standing right here. They can't hear you. But he was saying that not just to put the Pharisees down, but to wake the Pharisees up also and to teach his disciples, you don't have to be afraid of these guys. Don't be afraid of them. They got nothing. You have me. And you will never be so close to the Lord as when you're going through persecution and usually decide, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I am weak. I don't have much strength. But I'm just going to stand for you. And Paul the Apostle said, take the whole arm of God, pull all of Jesus on. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the breastplate of righteousness. And having done all, stand. Sometimes you're not going to make progress, but you can stand. With the power of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can stand. And so this church rejoiced together. Oh, you guys, you stood. And the guys didn't hear. They got to hear. They hadn't been there. They got to hear what was going on, and they just rejoiced together. And then you know what they did? They told God on them. You cannot do better than that. They didn't get a, a, a good attorney and say, hey, this is against the law. They can't do that. We got free religion. That's the first reaction so many Christians do. Now, the apostle Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen when he was beaten unlawfully but he didn't do it because of the beating he did it because of the gospel he wanted to give the gospel a standing in that culture so it's okay to stand but ultimately you need to stand on the lord not on your rights not on a good attorney you trust the lord and so they told god on him i love what they said they said lord you told us it's going to happen before and they quoted psalm 2 why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth rise up and they say, we're going to cast God's fetters from us. We're not going to be bound by these religious nuts. And they were reminded, they reminded themselves from the scripture that even though the heathens rage and those in authority want to kill you, God's the king. 
And they could identify with that whole psalm and say, no, no, we set our king on our holy hill. That's what we worship. And so these fellas, they can threaten us. They can even take, our, take our lives, but they better kiss the son before he gets angry and they perish in the way. Because God holds their breath in his hands. What did they do? They crawled up on that mountain, that mountain of faith there in Psalm 2, and they got the perspective again. Said, oh, that's right. They can threaten us all they want. God's in charge of our security. God's in charge of our safety. And we sang this morning how firm a foundation. Even if they take our life, the flames cannot harm thee. They can't touch your life. Your life is hidden, God. And then they said this, 29. Now, Lord, take note of the threats. You notice what they said. You heard. Lord, remember, we're the apple of your eye. Old Testament says everybody, anybody pokes God in the eye, touching his anointed, God, you don't get away with that. So you take note of the threats, or we're going to focus on you. Not going to worry about what the law says or what the Supreme Court says. We're going to focus on you. What do you want us to do? And then they requested this from the Lord. Lord, grant your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Lord, you keep doing what you do while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. But Lord, give us boldness that we can be faithful like our leaders, that we can be faithful like Jesus was, if need be, unto death. And then God gave them a blessing. And when they prayed, God shook the place. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine how much they felt loved at that point? God just reached out. Let me just, let me just. And he just reached down and grabbed that place. And went, Oh, man. Now, now, I love to hear the national anthem. And as an American who loves my country, I hear that national anthem sometimes. I just get a, I just get a chill up my spine because it reminds me of all the Americans that held liberty close and recognized that this country is a blessing from God. But that's nothing like God shaking the place. And then he answered their prayer. And it says, and they all, not just the, not just the elders, not just Peter and John and James and the apostles, they all spoke the word with boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now listen, here's the deal. God will empower you to speak his word, not your opinions, not your experience, his word. That's what we're empowered to speak. That's what God's going to use. That's what we want to leave people with. Because if you die or you fail, the word of God will never fail. The word of God's never going to pass away. It will all be fulfilled. We want to leave people with the word of God. It wears me out. Even good Bible teachers that bring the principle of the Word of God and they deduce it down to a little formula that they say and they want you to write it down and memorize the little formula they said. It's not powerful. It will encourage their ministry. And so you'll, hey, well, you got to go get this stuff from them. 
And even if it's good stuff, leave people with the Bible. You can't improve on it. You can't improve on it. Leave them with the Scripture. Memorize the Scripture so the Holy Spirit has something to use when he fills you with boldness. Here comes the Word of God out. John Bunyan lived through all kinds of imprisonments and persecution, and the desire of his life was not, let's live politically correct. Come on, folks, be careful what you say. You know, the desires of, of his heart was to fill his people so full of the Word of God that if you cut them, they just bleed the Bible. That is for us. That is for us. To hide God's Word in our heart that no matter what comes, we have a straight path that others can follow so easily. They begin to speak the Word of God with boldness. They were obedient they prayed, which led to more obedience. You know what that led to? Verse 32, unity. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Whew, that's a blessing. One heart. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The power of the, the preaching even increased. Then it says an abundant grace was upon them all. What is grace? The power and the desire to do the will of God. The power and the desire to be obedient. And you recognize in your own life, when I recognize in my life, the desire to be timid. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, listen here. God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a disciplined mind. And the disciplined mind sees the fear. He sees the, the situation. They say, okay, Lord, you know I'm weak. My desire is to be obedient. My desire is to be bold and speak the truth in love in this situation. And, and you know in God's grace, sometimes you see it coming, don't you? Here it comes. He said, in that very hour, I'll put the words in your mouth. Are you willing to be obedient? Father, I pray that you would give us as a church in this time boldness to speak your truth and love, to give people the gospel of Jesus Christ, to speak the scripture, to speak the truth. Lord, that we might be found faithful and so that sinners can find their way to the cross. That we be the salt that stings, that has taste. That we be the light that chases the shadow away. That we could have an opportunity for great harvest, even in these times, Lord. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.